Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, then they will persecute you. If they kept my word, then they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know who sent me. If I had not come and, spot, and not spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among, among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send from the father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Hey, church family. How are you? Appreciate you being here. Appreciate those that are watching online. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm honored to share God's word, and I just hope that he gets me out of the way uh, so you get the most out of it. So did you like that last song? Yeah. I loved it, too. A little banjo thing going on in there. I wanted to go home and get my jug. <laughs> so we're continuing through our Believe series through the book of John, and uh, as uh, Miss Reed did a wonderful job reading, didn't she? Yeah. Good job. Chapter 15, verses 12 through 27. We're going to be talking about sharing life together. And here at Desbury's, uh, aside from church service, it means life groups. But I want to go way beyond someone saying, you should come to our life group. It'll be fun. So-and-so makes great brownies. Those things are true. And life groups are a lot of fun. And people do make great brownies and all kinds of other things. So I'm not trying to discount those, but life groups and sharing life together goes way beyond uh, those things. And, you know, I think we have a problem within each of us because we live in this broken world and we ourselves are broken that this perspective that uh, strangers become friends and friends become family, that could be a little scary for people because... People haven't had good friendship experiences or family experiences in some regards. So, man, we need the gospel and we need God to help us in those things. So what do you say we pray to him to ask him to help us? Lord, we're so thankful that uh, you are here with us, uh, that you send your spirit. Uh, but, Lord, we want to come to you with pure hearts because we want to hear your pure truth. We want to feel your pure love. And so, God, uh, I myself 
And I want to bring this church family before you that in a moment of silence that we could all um, come in repentance to confess to you some of the fears that we might have that are keeping us from you or from what you have for us, from some failings that we may have uh, that we need to confess uh, for some fouls that we've committed against our brother and other people. So Lord, in a moment of silence, would you please grant us repentance? Lord, we're so thankful that you are faithful to forgive us when we come and ask for forgiveness. And you wash us clean. And so we ask you to wash clean our hearts and our minds right now. Help us to die right now to the distractions of the world and the busyness of our lives. We ask you to illuminate your spirit within us and give us the mercy and grace to embrace the love and life eternal that you promised to give us in Christ. Help us to go deep with those truths that continue to save us from ourselves and from the world around us. And in doing so, showing us how to love you and one another more and more. For your glory and in Christ's holy name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So I got a little sneaky. Today's uh, sermon is called, Who's Your Crew? And if you didn't notice, we have a connection party coming up called, Who's Your Crew? Pretty creative, right? So it's, it's interesting. Who's your crew? So I came up with that a while back. It's kind of the campaign of what we're trying to do in adult ministries and life groups and things. But what do you think of when you think of the word crew? What are the orbiting thoughts? What is a crew? What are the benefits of being on a crew? Do you need a crew? As I spoke with people throughout the week, the examples of crew that came up were typically things that uh, there was safety involved, there was something life-threatening involved, and there was a need for a group of people to kind of go at that together. Things like uh, the crew on a battleship or a submarine. Things like, um, you know, the road crew, where there's the police officer directing traffic and the little guy that's spinning the stop-slow sign so people don't run into one another. Um, jobs like, uh, what are those guys called on the oil rigs? Roughnecks? It's life-threatening. There needs to be safety. People need to be watching out and watching out for each other. Um, linemen, those guys that take care of the power wires, that is a dangerous job, and people need to be paying attention or people will die. And so the benefits of a crew, they help us, they help us in certain ways relationally, uh, because a crew is, uh, it gives us assurances like teamwork, like uh, functional commitment. We're all in this together kind of thing. Communal safety. Common goals. Common goals help us to not be distracted by other things that we need to stay focused. Common goals and efforts. How about celebrating wins together and enduring losses together? It also, a crew, gives us an identifiable purpose that other people can see. Oh, there's something going on in there. They're doing something. And it defines roles and responsibilities. So there's a little bit of uptick as far as life groups goes. But let me take it even further on your notes. It says, 
uh, earthly battle for, for the eternal. In uh, Jeremiah, he, chapter 51, he says, As the battle rages and the land trembles and rise, for the eternal is accomplishing his purposes against Babylon. We are in an eternal battle here. And this kind of gives definition to that battle. And if you look at the dynamics of who's battling who here, there's two enemies. So you remember Babylon? They wanted to go to God on their terms in their time when they felt like it. How'd that work for them? Didn't work very well at all. The, The tower crumbled and the people were confused and scattered. So what was going on there? The eternal who is God was accomplishing his purposes. And so for the Babylons who wanted to do it their way, God was their enemy. And for God who will accomplish his purposes, whether we cooperate with him or not, will do that in battle with us in a way that it uh, makes the land tremble and writhe. And so we can either cooperate with him or we can battle against him and it just won't go well for you but I am encouraged that um, God is with us as he accomplishes his purposes but again you know not only a crew um, that gives us all those benefits but we are in a battle and we have God with us who is accomplishing his purposes for us and in us that's why we ought to be in life groups because he does it through other people You see, God is at work in us, and he's at work through us, and we have some fighting to do, not with each other, but for each other. The context is battle. That's what I want you to be thinking about today. And I also want you to be thinking about, if you didn't hear last week's message, uh, because this is kind of where a lot of the battle lies, um, Ray talked about uh, the fulfilling life. And the secret to the fulfilling life is fruitfulness, and specifically kingdom fruitfulness. And the secret of kingdom fruitfulness is abiding in Christ. And the secret of abiding in Christ is knowing that he has our best interest in mind, and so we follow him and obey him. And so the the secret of obeying is, uh, is, um, is abiding and loving. When we, when we walk with Christ, we will love him more and more. He will love us more, show his love to us more and more, and that will help us to know him and know ourselves more and more, and those are the secrets. That's also the paradigm that I want you to talk about because that itself is a battle within our hearts. So again, who is your crew? Who is your crew that helps you fight the battle of loving, obeying, abiding, bearing fruit, in this self-centered and war-torn world that we live in. It takes a particular kind of love. And that's what our scripture talks about today. And it also talks about the consequences of loving like that and, and even being loved like that. And so it's a love that gives life out of death. And your first fill in the blank says that the world's love brings death to life, but Christ's love brings life out of death. Proverbs 14.12 says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end it leads to death. 
I think it's like the Babylonian man. There's a way that he thinks life should go and how it should serve him, but in the end it leads to death. But Christ's love brings life out of death. All you have to do is look at the cross. The greatest act of love in the history of the universe resulted in death, the death of our Savior. And so his love, his loving act to go to the cross for you and I was extreme love, and that's how we're supposed to love one another. 1 John 3, 13 through 14, it says, Don't be surprised that the world hates you. And, we, and it says that we know that we pass out of death into life because we love the brothers. It's talking about loving like Jesus, loving other Christians, but also loving the world. It says that in other places in Scripture that we'll talk about. So whoever doesn't love like Jesus abides in death because death abides in earthly love. You can get the world to love you. You can love like the world. It has to be very me-centric. It's all about me. It's all about my agenda. But as soon as you step on someone else's me agenda, it's going to lead to death. Maybe not literally death, literal death. I hope it doesn't lead to literal death. Sometimes it does, I guess. But uh, certainly relational death. And so we need to have the love of Christ in us that goes through us to learn to love other people. Um, and that's part of our calling. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. Number two says, in Christ, loving one another is not a suggestion. This verse 12 says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Not that you be nice to, just be nice to one another, but love as I have loved you. So what, to what extent are we to love one another? Well, as Christ as well does. What does that look like? What did he do? He left heaven, came down here to love us, only to be ridiculed, made less of, pushed aside, and in extreme ways being slapped and punched and spit in his face and a crown of thorns pounded into his forehead with a stick and ultimately nailed, nailed to a cross through his hands and his feet with a sign above him that mocked him, calling him king of the Jews. So to what extent are we supposed to love one another? We can't do that for others, but that needs to be our example. And Luke really puts that into perspective for us in Luke chapter 6. He says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. So we can't let loving people like Christ love us be a determinant because we have enemies. We do have enemies. Because people hate you or curse you or abuse you. God calls us to the Great Commission. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. You've heard it before. But we fulfill the Great Commission not so people will like us but they will experience this forever love that God gives to us and promises to give everyone else. 
So let's read that uh, before the Great Commission. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And um, so there's your crew. There's the disciples. There's a crew right there going to do God's work. And I don't think this scripture is limited to just the disciples and just Jesus because crowds were following Jesus and crowds were following the disciples. So it says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So when we love like Christ, when we proclaim the gospel, some are going to worship and some are going to doubt. But it can't keep us from loving people. Because he goes on to tell us, the Great Commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When we love people and present the gospel to them, it is not under our authority, it is his authority I've, experienced, I've suffered from it myself and I experienced that I, I have this Messiah complex that I think I'm supposed to save people. But presenting the gospel is not trying to break through uh, consumer resistance. It's supposed to be proclaiming the, the truths of Christ and the gospel and what he's done for us and what he does in us. So it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Pretty big task. And teaching them, don't miss this, to observe all that I have commanded you. Not just to give them head knowledge, not even to just give them head knowledge that goes to heart knowledge, but to give them head knowledge that goes to heart knowledge that means they obey and they go do God's word They don't just believe God's word. And we need to do the same. He is our example and we are to be examples to others. Pretty tall task. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are not alone. Who's your crew? It needs to be the people of God, but also we have the presence of God that goes and does that with us. So God's love calls us to discipleship. Disciples are learners. And if you think about being a learner, that means I have some missing information. I need to grow up a little bit. I need to learn more and more and more. We are always disciples until our last breath. So he calls us to his discipleship. He also, he is with us in discipleship, loving us through our imperfections so we can recycle the gospel truth in us and in our loving relationships with whoever might he, he might put in our path. So that's why he disciples us. That's why he gives us this commandment. And that's why he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. But we can't have that if we don't have Christ truly in us. And sometimes it's a battle. So we need durability. So number three says, Christ's durable love and sacrifice is our example of love. So what should this look like? Well, it looks like verses 13 and 14. Greater love has no one than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. And again, it's not a suggestion But also, Jesus doesn't expect perfection from us. He doesn't need us to go do his work. He wants to do his work through us and in us. Because 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2 says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. So that tells me you have the capacity to sin and you'll probably sin. 
But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is our advocate. He appeases God. It goes on to say, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So his sacrifice, his propitiation, what he's doing in us, ought to lead us to want to obey and abide and love. And again, he doesn't expect perfection. What is propitiation? Propitiation is what appeases God for what he is due for our debt sin. And Christ is the ultimate propitiation between us and God individually. So what does that have to do with us loving others? It means that we are to represent his atonement through how the gospel has made us durable lovers in hard times and saved us from the pit of hell and that we want to love others in that and give other people a break because God loved us while we were yet sinners. It's the mark of a Christian. Love is not easy. It is sacrificial. And again, is the mark of a Christian. Number four, a decision to call Jesus Lord and Savior is concurrent with our transformation from slaves of sin to friends of Christ who have the capacity to love like Christ loves. Receiving Christ doesn't happen because we're savable. We're dead in our sins. It happens because that's the only way that it can happen. And it's a gift. It's a gift that comes with a responsibility to freely give that gift also to others. Verse 14 and 17, it says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. So what he's saying here is, if you really truly accept my gift, my gift of knowing and loving and abiding and obeying me, then no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. God is just not having us do his dirty work for him. Christ has done the dirtiest work, and sometimes that dirtiest work, or I guess you should say, without question, some of that dirty work had to do with us. Because we're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. It says, For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. That's what he gives to his friends. What has he given to us? He's given to us himself. He's given to us his word that tells us that we are sinners, that tells us that uh, he has come and died for us, that tells us that he has given us his inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ, that tells us that we have hope and that we don't grieve like those who have no hope, that our hope is eternal. It's not uh, temporal and it's not dependent on the things of this world. So we can encourage people in that by calling them friends and saying, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to put your identity in this world or things that they say that you should be. Right? So it says, he does that for us. He's made those things known to us that you do. Um, and then he says he didn't have to do that. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
So again, it's a gift. But the gift comes with responsibility. And appointed you that you should go bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. Fruit that you give to other people that abides in Christ so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. If we go to God and say, God, I am just so blessed by the fruit that you've given me in Christ and I want to abide in Christ as he is the vine and I'm the branch and I'm bearing fruit and I want to give that fruit to others, he'll give that fruit to you in abundance all day long. To what end? Verse 17. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And it's not always easy. And it's not always successful. And humanly being uh, between the hate of the world and the lofty call of God, we often feel ill-equipped or even unworthy to even go about doing that. So we have to have some expectations and we have to have some assurances. God's word gives us lots of assurances we've already talked about. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Authority has been given to him. I'll be with you to the end of the age. Number five, following Christ ought to come with expectations of being treated like Christ. In verse 18 through 23, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me first before you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. Again, we can go along with the world. It'll love us all day long, but it'll lead to death. But... Because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Not because you're good, but because God is good. Because the gospel means that I go and tell people that I am not good, and I need Jesus, and this is what he's done for me, so this is what he says about you also. But I love in in verse 20 at the end, it gives a little bit of glimmer of hope. It says, If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do do to you on account of my name because they do not know me who sent me. But let's talk about that that glimmer of hope. Um, I go to a Tuesday morning Bible study where we're studying through a book called How God Make Us Men. And it uses characters of the Bible that God worked through their, uh, uh, their adversity and their lack of character to do great things to accomplish his purposes. And this last week was uh, a study through the story of Gideon. Uh, and the short version is, is Gideon didn't think much of himself and didn't think God could use him. He was kind of in that place of the lofty call of God and the lowly feeling of, you know, who am I? And God called him and said, I'm going to give the Midianites into your hands. And if you know the story, there were 135,000 men in the army of the Midianites. And through an exchange between God and Gideon, God finally convinced him to go into battle with the Midianites, not with 135,000 or more, but with 300 guys. And not just with 300 guys, you're not going with swords and spears, you're going with candles and horns. But he did deliver the Midianites into Gideon's hands and accomplished his purposes. Now I tell you this because there is a guy in our group that I've, I've, 
I'm becoming more and more close to as a friend. And he shared with me before that in his particular job, which is being a driver to take people to and from um, uh, medical appointments and things like that, that he sometimes felt in his, in his head, but knew in his heart, knew differently in his heart, felt in his head that God couldn't or wouldn't really use him as a driver in that regard. But he knew in his heart that it was different. So after this particular study, it encouraged him, and he just went out that day and said, God, however you're going to use me, use me. I don't know what that means, but I'm kind of like a Gideon, and so you're going to need to do it because I can't. And so he called me that afternoon, and he said, hey, i got to tell you something that happened. I was like, what happened? He said, well, a guy got in my car. His name is Brian. He was 40 years old, and um, the beginning of the ride, he said, how was your day? And I told him that, uh, you know, it began really early and I got a couple of rides in, but then I went to my men's Bible study and we're studying this book and we talked about the story of Gideon and uh, the guy was intrigued and he said, tell me more kind of thing. And uh, so he told him this story, but eventually in this conversation, uh, this guy, he learned that this guy, Brian, was very needy and broken and he needed Christ. And that conversation led to him sharing the gospel with Brian, and it led to Brian accepting Christ. But, 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 I want you to hold your applause because that's not the punchline. The punchline is, is that Brian had planned on committing suicide. So praise God for using Gideon's, using us, the lowly, to accomplish God-sized things. And so we have to go about in the world, in our relationships, to, to not just get distracted by whatever job we're doing or uh, what the world tells us, but to love people like, like Christ loved us, right where we are, no matter what our struggles are, no matter how close we are to death. It's super important. Being Christ-like and loving and speaking his truth it looks like something. Um, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, it says that we're supposed to be poor in spirit. That's how we are to approach things, knowing that we need Christ just as much as everybody else. Blessed are those that mourn. We're supposed to be peacemakers. We're supposed to be meek. We're supposed to be pure in heart. We're supposed to be, uh, 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 have a motivation for right living and encouraging people in the same thing. That's the attitude and the demeanor that we're supposed to have, but it doesn't always go well. He's telling us all day long here that we're going to be hated. But it goes on in uh, the Beatitudes, and it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. It's okay. God is with us. Don't Avoid godly relationships and loving like he does because it's hard, because people are hard, because you're afraid. Let's move on to uh, verse 22. It says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Why did he tag that on? Whoever hates me, hates my father also. It's because this is a situation where Jesus was saying, when you preach the gospel to people, they have no excuse. 
And in Jesus' particular situation, he said he had come and spoken to them and um, that he did, he did work. It goes on in verse 24 and 25 um, that he done among them the works that no one else did. So what did Jesus do when he came? Well, he, he healed the sick. He raised the dead. He made the blind see, the, ear, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk. But those aren't the things that they were accusing him of. And this goes to number six. Guilt is, in sin is not primarily an emotional condition. It is a legal declaration. If you get clocked speeding on the highway, it's not because you feel like you were going too fast. It's because you were going too fast. It's a legal declaration. And in, in this instance, they were calling Jesus to their Levitical law that says in uh, Leviticus 24, 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. So their perspective of Jesus, and I said, he, he, they weren't persecuting him because he did all these wonderful works. They were persecuting him for what he said. He said he was God. He said he could forgive sin. That's why he were killing him. But it didn't matter that they saw all these miracles. It didn't matter that these truths penetrated their heart. They just didn't like it. So what, what law was, was Jesus breaking in their eyes? It was their fleshy law that called them to account and gave them no excuse. And that will surely happen to us if we preach the gospel. And it happens to us when people call us to account that we have no excuse. We don't like it. But we have to submit and obey and go, you know, you're right, but Jesus saves. Christ came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. It tells us that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. And so the religious authorities were wrongly accusing Jesus of breaking the law. In their arrogance, they, were willing, they weren't willing to hear Christ's legitimate charges against them. And to a fallen world, the gospel is offensive. And so just be ready that when you share the gospel, when you love like Christ, it's going to be in some ways and at some times offensive to people. So if you're persecuted or hated or cursed, don't respond in a fleshy way. Because that's not Christ-like. As much as you want to, as much as I've wanted to sometimes, don't do that. Because it says here uh, in, the, in the ending verse that, that Jesus was hated without cause. Number seven, we will be hated without cause if we love like Jesus. So, again, if we respond in a, in a hateful way, if we return evil for evil, we're going to be hated with a cause. But don't do that. So what does this have to do with life groups? This is what's supposed to be true in life groups and through life groups. And so let's talk about life groups. Uh, you might notice that life, when we say life groups, is L period, I period, F period, E period. It's an acronym. Surprise, surprise. It does breeze, there's acronyms. Right? And so let's talk about that. Um, and by the way, there's more than just life home groups. There's life home groups, there's life study groups, there's life support groups. 
There's life men's groups. There's life women's groups. Every ministry in this church is a life group, and these things should be true of all life groups. So why life groups? Well, first, A, life without <clears throat> others is not good. Jesus, or God, told us that in the second book of the Bible. It is not good for man to be alone. And I know that's used in weddings, and it says that he made a helper suitable for us, but we can still be alone in relationships. People can leave us alone, like Adam did. He was with his wife, but he left her alone according to his responsibility, and she was deceived by the serpent. Way to go, Adam, you idiot. But I can't judge Adam because I do the same thing sometimes. But also we can, we can do this thing, this aloneness, this Lone Ranger uh, kind of existence, but it doesn't work well. It doesn't go well. Ultimately, aloneness, isolating ourselves, it's the definition of hell. It's complete separation from the love and the presence of God, whether it's from him or through us. So it's not good for us to be alone. So if it's not good for me to be alone in life, there are reasons why God put us on this earth together that should motivate me. So there's a statement and on number B it says, God has given us a people to love, a purpose to follow, and a, or excuse me, a pursuit to follow, and a purpose to fulfill. So there's a people, if, if John 3.16 is true, that people mattered so much to God that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross, if people matter to God that much, and I call myself a, a Christian, people ought to matter to me that much. And then there's the pursuit. When we're Christians, Galatians 6 tells us about the fruits of the Spirit that are supposed to grow in us, that are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know what those are? They're certainly fruits of the Spirit, but they're goal-make-disciple tools because we're supposed to share those gifts with others in this pursuit that we have. John 15, 5, remember Ray taught that last week. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I just wanted to point out that it's important that we have that vine, branch, fruit paradigm because a branch can't just jump off the vine and go plant itself somewhere and bear fruit. It's just going to die. And also, we can't claim to be branches that abide in Christ and just let the fruit hang on the branch. Because fruit that hangs on the branch will just shrivel up and die. Fruit is not to make the branch look good. It's not for the branch. It's to glorify God and to bless others. And that's the purpose. Uh, if I am about my father's business, the great commission ought to motivate me. And these Christian relationships look like something. They are marked by something. So that's where we get to the acronym LIFE. The L in LIFE stands for loving relationships. They should permeate every aspect of the Christian life. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. You guys finish it. If you love one another. Come on now. And that's not just being nice to each other. That's making a difference in their lives because Christ has made a difference in your life. This love speaks of uh, this love for one another in all circumstances and in all life. Uh, 
People grow best in loving environments. You see, Life Groups gives us an opportunity to learn how to do that. To learn how God can continue to work in us and for us to love other people. By the way, in a safe place. That's why our mission statement here at Desert Breeze is Desert Breeze exists to create a safe place where unchurched people or dechurched people can become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. The I in life stands for interdependence. Interdependence. As Christians, we are all dependent on Christ individually, but as the body of Christ, we are interdependent on him. So the cross means that Christ died for us all, not just for a few. And that ought to fuel me to live what I heard one say was called the cruciformed life, the life shaped by the cross. And that life ought to humble me that says I need other people but it ought to motivate me that says I need other people I want other people in my life that'll point me to Jesus because I need him more and more and more every day and I can't wait to get that and I can't wait to share it with other people Ephesians 4 says that uh, it's talking to the church and it says that equip equip the church why for the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, until what? Until we all attain the unity of faith. The F in life stands for fellowship. Living out the gospel involves going ever deeper into what we learn at church about who we are as the church. The church isn't this building, it's you, it's me. And we have a job to do, we have a battle to fight. We are Desert Breeze Community Church. I love the word community because if you cut it in half, it means common unity. We are interdependent on Christ. We have a common unity in our faith. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 puts it this way. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The day was drawing near for Brian, but Christ intervened. The day is drawing near for us all. And so we have to recognize this. Look what it says, let us hold fast. This is fellowship. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love love and good works. That's fellowship. Let's meet together. That's fellowship. Let's encourage one another. That's fellowship. The E in uh, the acronym LIFE is edification. Edification. Edification means to lift people up. People feel down, we lift them up. We raise them above their circumstances and show them the love of Christ. Edification is found in loving, interdependent, spirit-led fellowship settings where Christian character, values, attitudes, motives, and actions are nurtured through the teaching, sharing, and discussing of God's precepts and promises. In these relationships, edification, grace, and mercy are abundant, and accountability is shared. 
Ephesians 4 says it this way. This is Paul encouraging his crew. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness and, patience, and with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's gift is wide and deep. If God so loved the world, that's how wide and how deep it goes. These things of humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and love and eager to maintain the unity and, and peace, those things belong to our calling. The calling belongs to us. And so you own that calling. And we're supposed to live it out. It's our responsibility. And it's, the, it's not all on you. God has to do the work, and he's going to do it through people around you. That's why you need to be in a life group. So who's your crew? It's not good to be alone. It's a battle that we need to not fight alone. But we have a problem. Because we've uh, suffered through earthly relationships and brokenness, we a lot of times look through the lens of our hurts and how people have hurt us. And we're afraid to get close to people. We're afraid to be vulnerable. So the result is, you may have heard it, I don't need to go to church, me and God are good. Well, you can't love the groom and hate the bride. Or, you know, I don't do retreats or I don't do events and stuff. What you're saying is, I don't need to grow up in the Lord. I don't need discipleship. I don't need other people. Or I don't need a group. I'm too busy. That's just a defense mechanism that you're hiding. Uh, and, 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 it, and it leads to um, isolation, which is not good. Or you may say, okay, I'll go to a life group if you say, I have to go to a life group. But then you won't be vulnerable. You won't allow people to love you like Christ loved you. Christ's love demands and calls for our vulnerability, our confession that we are sinners and we need a savior. And so that is a, a big thing. And um, in our brokenness, we'd, we'd rather have shallow relationships and no relationships at all than to be hurt again. And I get it. Many of you have been hurt. I've been hurt. Some of the deepest hurts that we experience are in churches. God forgive us. But that doesn't mean we're not supposed to keep loving each other because love covers a multitude of sins and it's Christ's love that covers that multitude of sins and we all need Christ and he tells us we need one another and that's why, and in big ways and in small ways, we need the body of Christ. Because what's true is, is that this is the big church. Life groups are small churches within the big church. What happens here? 
is life change happens through hearing God's word and worshiping in hymns, but life change happens best in small groups because we do what we do in big church, but to a much deeper level with one another through intimacy. And that takes God, it takes one another, it takes his word, but it also takes what number C, or number C, letter C says, God glorifying and people edifying, living and loving is impossible without one another and the helper, our last two verses say. But when the helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, that's the helper, who proceeds from the Father will bear witness about me and you also will bear, bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. God began writing your story he is not finished. He's still writing. He sends us a helper. He sends us a church body. He sends us one another. And so before I pray, I want to tell you about our connection party. Um, it is an opportunity for you, if you're not involved with the life group, to find one, to come and meet leaders, to come and have some fun. We will feed you. We're going to have uh, some cool door prizes, so it'll be a lot of fun. But the purpose is for you to get connected, for you to experience what I'm talking about here today in the battle of life that we're in. And so please come. There's an insert in your bulletin that you could fill out and drop in the offering box that tells us if you're coming because I need to know how much food to buy. Um, and um, I'm just excited. We'll see you there. Um, before I, um, it, oh, it's on September 12th, uh, a couple weeks from now, right after the 11 o'clock service. So before I pray, um, after I pray, the, the, I myself and some elders will be up here. Uh, if you're new with us, we'd love to meet you. If you just need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. So, so let's pray. Lord, you know better than we do that we are all too often and in too many ways an emotional and relational wreck. And we are just desperate for you, Lord. And we know the enemy whispers in our ears to say, no, run away. But we, what we really need to do is to run to you to run to the love that we spoke of today that comes with humility, but also with confidence. And also a, a knowledge that we see that it is our calling to do that. Thank you for your gospel that heals our wounds and gives us the capacity to love our others like you loved us. God, in the way of wounds, your word says that faithful are the wounds of a friend. And when we think of that, we think of worldly things where it's not fun to be hurt. We don't like to, to get hurt. And we don't like to hurt either. So God, help us remember that the wounds faithfully endured by Christ on our behalf that sent him and nailed him to the cross to pay for the debt that we couldn't pay, those are the most faithful wounds that were endured by him so that we wouldn't have to suffer through that. And he did that so we could live the life that you called us to as your children. God, I pray that you would bless each one here according to your word that encourages us to have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.